0: Uh, Father, I I thank you again for the ways that you meet us, you instruct us, you guide us, you teach us. I thank you for the different ways that you bless and encourage. And I pray, God, that you um, would use me this morning to bless and encourage. And I pray that you would take this message and use it to bless and encourage um, so many people uh, in our spheres, uh, in our our relational spheres, in our spaces and places. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, guys, so if you are uh, new, uh, we are in a series called Renew, about renewing your commitment to Jesus and his, Jesus' church and her purposes. And we've talked about what the church is and the things the New Testament calls followers of Jesus to do uh, in regard to the local church. And so we're looking at what it means to be, really what it means to be a member of a local church. And to, to organize this series, we're using what we call the four G's of church membership. And it's uh, just a way to organize kind of what the New Testament says. Uh, It's gather, grow, give, and today, go. It's this idea, uh, the idea we're going for is, is, uh, uh, sorry, the idea of going is a big one in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus actually gave the church a go mandate in what is commonly known as the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, it says this. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me, In heaven and on earth, go therefore and make disciples. By the way, disciple in Greek it's it's the word methetes. It just means learner, or pupil, or some people like the language apprentice. And that's an important word because it means we're learning to follow Jesus. None of us are perfect. We're in process of learning. It's like someone learning a trade says, go therefore and make learners of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus gives them this commission. He says, go. Go and make people who are learning to look like me learning to love like me, learning to live like me, learning to value what I value and do what I did and have the same heart and character that I had when I was on this earth to embody who Jesus is. It can feel like a tricky thing to do lately. I think uh, for our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, it's always been a tricky thing to do, Um, but it feels so complex. I've talked about this recently. Um, It feels like it's so easy to be misunderstood as a Christian in at least Southern California, kind of 2022 culture. It's like they're hearing so many things we're not saying, and assuming we're saying things. Yeah, just assuming stuff we're, we're saying stuff we're not saying. It can be really hard to live at our faith. Um, we're gonna be reading a lot from a book, uh, but that's not a new problem. As we're gonna see, um, we're gonna be reading a lot from First Peter today. And to set that up, uh, I wanna read a, a quote from a commentary on First Peter by a name uh, by a man named Juan Sanchez, and he says this: Peter wrote the letter of First Peter to Christians in Asia Minor who were facing state-sponsored persecution and many were being put to death. Now, most of us don't face universal state-sponsored persecution at this time. We are encountering the reality of increasing hostility toward anything Christian. While we may live under the rule of governments that offers some legal protections for Christians, Christianity is no longer generally accepted nor deemed acceptable. In such a context, believers may not necessarily face imprisonments, tortures, or executions. However, we do face an increasingly intolerant culture, which we're likely to be discriminated against simply because we identify with Jesus and his historical teaching. For many of us who are accustomed to living in Christian spaces, this is a new reality that we need to get used to as churches and as individuals. But suffering for being a Christian was not new for Peter's readers. It was normal. So we need Peter to teach us how to face the reality that following Christ and obeying what he commands makes us different. We are aliens and strangers in a foreign land. We need to learn how to endure unjust suffering in a society where Christianity is, again, increasingly unwelcome. We need to learn how to live with joy and hope and love when we are mocked and maligned and misunderstood because of what we believe and how we live. And in order to do that, we need to be reminded of the grace of God in which we can stand firm. And so that's what 1 Peter is all about. And so within the context of 1 Peter, right into a persecuted church seeking to live out their faith— Peter writes this, 1 Peter chapter 2 starting in verse 1, therefore rid yourselves of all malice, even on social media by the way, there's no like loophole, all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Christians should not be known for slander and deceit. Verse 2, like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him a living stone rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, that living stone is Jesus himself. Verse 5, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built up to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for it stands in scripture. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame, even if people are trying to shame you. he will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the un- unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so this passage, it talks about what God has done for us in Jesus, but also he's stabilizing them in an identity. He's like, you're a new people. You're in a new family. You belong to a new nation. The passage says that the reason God saved and blessed us is that we might be a blessing to others. This is so important. You can look at this passage and go, God made us this cool new thing. We're on the inside. They're on the outside. And no, he says, we're supposed to proclaim what he has done for us to others, to proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I guess that's what I want to ask about is how often do you talk about the mercy of God to you? Not in a weird way. We'll get into it. Not in in an intense, awkward way, but in an honest, real way that's not deceitful, that's not malicious, that's kind. We want to see people experience moving from darkness into marvelous light. People who feel like they have no sense of self, they were not a people, and then they get to become a people. We, we want that to happen, where people are reconciled to God, where their shame is taken away and their guilt is taken away. They have a new relationship to anxiety and pressure and fear as they're reconciled to him. And so since we've started this church almost 10 years ago now, which is crazy, we've seen other churches started out of it. We've had the privilege of seeing some beautiful broken people meet the risen Jesus because other beautiful broken people like the ones sitting in this room right now did their parts to proclaim the praises of him who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. I mean, don't you want stories like that to be a part of your life and your story and your family? But here's the thing, as followers of Jesus, here's one thing we need to know. The the way to see this happen, it starts by understanding, again, who we are. There's a lot of identity statements Peter threw out, but one I want to throw out that's not in there is this idea of ambassadors. That we're ambassadors of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 says this. Paul writes, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So we're all ambassadors of Jesus. What does that mean? And one way to to, to dig into that idea is, is, is to ask yourself the question, what do ambassadors do? What should they do? Some ambassadors do shady stuff, but what should they do? They represent another country or leader to the people outside of that country. And so the idea here is that followers of Jesus should represent their king and his kingdom to people outside of that kingdom. So this isn't just for, for missionaries like our friends that, are, that go to northern Africa and India and, and people that we've sent out. It's for the stay-at-home dad or mom who's an ambassador of Jesus to their children. It's for the teacher who is an ambassador of Jesus to their students. It's the software developer who's an ambassador to his office or the barista represents Jesus to people at their coffee shop or the um, bartender at their bar. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a representative of Jesus everywhere you go. And so the question isn't, are you an ambassador of Jesus if you're in Jesus? The question isn't, are you a representative of Jesus if you're in Jesus? By the way, if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, I'm not talking to you here, but I think you'll, you'll probably experience this reality. Christians are either good representatives of Jesus or bad ones. There's no neutral. There's Mother Teresa. There's Angela from the office. Which one are you going to be? So today I want to talk about how we can live as ambassadors to San Diego and the watching world that need to encounter the radical of Jesus boldly, which leads to today's outline. Two pretty quick points. One, middle, medium, medium length. Effective, effective ambassadors, three things they do. They fall in love with Jesus and are actually becoming like him. They fall in love with Jesus and are actually becoming like him. Two, they consider the spaces and places that they have been sent to, and I would add uniquely sent to. There are spaces and places that men and women in this room are the only ones who have access to. No one else in this room does. Maybe no one else in, in, in the church anywhere. Number three, authentically share the, their life and the message of their king. All right, so number one, fall in love with and actually become like Jesus. First Peter 2, I want to look at that one more time. Verses 1 through 4. So he says, you know, rid yourself of all this gross stuff. Verse 2, like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation. If you tasted that the Lord is good. And this is where I want to start. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Have you experienced a a love relationship with him? Because when you do, you'll want to talk about it. We talk about the things we love. Like, I don't know if you know that. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is not just true of Christians. This is true of everyone. Out of the overflow of the heart, the fingers tweet. The stuff people put, that's what they're into, right? So if you talk about, that's what you're into. Um, there's a there's a new restaurant, cocktail bar in South Park. Some of you guys might have heard of it. It's called Mothership. You guys heard of this? Uh, it's a, It's like a sci-fi, space-themed tiki bar. Um, and uh, I went there with with some friends a few weeks ago, and uh, I'm not a big sci-fi guy, and I'm not vegan, so, like, Kindred isn't my thing, plus that first restaurant they open seems kind of demonic. But uh, that being said, if you've seen the decor, you know what I'm talking about. I'm no prude, but, you know, I mean, I think vegan, you know what I'm saying. Anyways, um, but I'm in this long line, and I'm putting my name in, because the reservations are completely booked out online, and um, everyone who was in line was talking about how they found it, and they all said somebody else told them about it. No one was social media or advertising. No one was an Eater article. Though someone might have got there originally, everyone's like, dude, my friends are so psyched about this place. i like, oh, dude, I can't wait to see the bathroom. <laughs> I heard the lighting's insane. But none of them came through ads. They came through people who were, uh, they didn't come through people who were paid to tell them about the place. Just people were passionate about what they'd experienced, and they wanted someone else to experience it. Now, for a talk on mission, this might surprise you. It's kind of the starting point. You might have thought I was going to give you, like, a sales pitch or a technique. Like, it's how you trick them into a Jesus conversation. And, like, no one wants that. Non-Christians don't want that. Christians don't want that. We don't need to be those people. Uh, but what we do need it to be is just honestly talking about our life with God. We're not forcing anything on anyone. We're just talking about our life. And if they're interested, we get into it. If they're not, we don't. Because here's the thing. People aren't looking for boring people to follow. No one says, my whole life, I've been looking for a boring person who doesn't sleep in on Sunday. I've always wanted to be boring like you. I feel like you're more boring than the average person. I feel like Jesus had something to do with that. Your life seems sadder and more boring. Can you tell me about this Savior? Right? right. Now, here's the thing. If If we have a passionate love relationship with Jesus, we will talk about that. Um, when my friends have babies, they almost always text a picture within hours of the birth. Often late at night. Often I didn't ask for it. Often with, with more of their wife's body than I think she wants out there. <sighs> I think I did it too at one point. I'm sorry. But, but it's just all, it's like, why? Because it's like, I, I got to get this news out. I got to get this news out. There is a baby. And it's our baby. And we love this baby. And we want you to love this baby. And it's good news. You never met someone who's like, "Hey, can I talk to you? Can I have a conversation with you about? Inf- can I have a conversation with you about infants for a second? Right? Can I ask what your beliefs are on babies, real quick? If you were to die today, would you admit that you started with birth and you were a baby before? Right? No, it oozes out of you. Just get into it. Right? So people share again, same thing. I've never met a young woman. This is a could be a stereotype, but I've never met a young woman who uh, had been proposed to and said yes. And didn't want to talk about it. It's like, hey, is there, is there, do you have an engagement story? Oh, I don't want to get into it. <laughs> right? If you don't want to get into it, you probably shouldn't get married. You probably should have said no, right? And it's like, no, they're, again, they're volunteering this information, again, often more information than you wanted, but they're going to town because they're in love. And, and, and Buddy the Elf, they're in love, they don't care who knows it. People share what they're passionate about plant based diets, birthing methods. I don't know how that became a topic of discussion amongst adults. I don't know, some parents here today, I don't know if when you guys were coming up, they were talking about who got epidurals, but now it's like people get into it. CrossFit, F45, sports team, politics, bands, craft beers, kids, your job, boyfriend, the guy that you hope becomes your boyfriend, girlfriend, the girl that you hope becomes your girlfriend, on and on it goes. We talk about what we're passionate about. Are you passionate about Jesus? And are you living such a life that people would assume that, They'd have a question about what you're passionate about. Not just what you're talking about, but the way you live. Because the other thing is, if we're truly passionate about something, we give our time and our energy and our finance and our affection and our time to it. Like, we, sh- we reveal what we, everyone worships something. It's just Jesus or something else. And, I, and as a gospel preacher, I'll tell you, nothing else, everything else will let you down besides Jesus. Like, I really believe that. No financial market is secure like Jesus is secure. No person's approval secure. Is secure and fixed like Jesus's can be secure and fixed. So much is uncertain in this life, but he can be consistent, and he is consistent. And those who've actually experienced that, it truly is life-changing. They want to talk about it. When people say, I found someone who's changed my life honestly, and I've reoriented my life in that way i never forget, uh, there's a gal in our church named Sam Brown. She shared her testimony a few weeks ago. Um, but I'll, I'll never forget, man, she came to one of our small groups early on in the life of the church. And she honestly was like, I'm not sure if I'm into this Jesus stuff. It's pretty weird. Uh, or she said, I don't understand half of what you guys are talking about. That's what she said. I don't understand half uh, the stuff you guys are talking about. But she said, if Jesus is anything like you guys, I definitely want to know him. That's what we want to be. Not winning arguments, but but authentically in, in front of people loving Jesus. So who in your life knows, knows you love Jesus and is close enough to see you becoming like him slowly but surely? Another thing I would say, I, I know I mentioned it with the kids, um, or with the, the parents with their kids, um, man, to give unqualified apologies in a culture where everyone takes themselves so seriously. Christians aren't the only self-righteous hypocrites out there, man. There is a loud, loud self-righteousness coming from all over the map on all kinds of different topics. But what if we're a people that go, hey, I'm sorry. What if Christians are known for being people who apologize, not for their beliefs, not for their con- convictions, but for their behavior when they fail to live up to those convictions? We can end hypocrisy in one of two ways. We can be perfect, which, spoiler alert, you like, you're just not. I love you, you're not. Or we can maintain a moral standard that Jesus gives us a way of life. We're, again, we're learning, we're apprentices. We can go, hey, I'm learning to live this way and I don't live up to it perfectly. Would you forgive me? I want to represent Jesus better to you and I'm, I'm sorry, That wasn't cool. I dishonored you, I was unloving to you and I dishonored my faith and that was on me. Uh, Number two, uh, ambassadors, again, there's over 200 U.S. ambassadors around the world. Uh, They go to countries. They know what country they're in. And so the second thing effective ambassadors do is consider the spaces and places they have been sent to. Different ambassadors in different places have to go about their work in a different way, from the language that's spoken to the clothing that's worn to the the schedules and rhythms to their life as they engage with people. And so to help you discern this, I want to use a tool. Uh, John Tyson, a pastor in New York City, put this together. I thought it was really helpful. And he talks about the three P's, or three spaces God sends us into. It's people, places, and positions. People, places, and positions. The first one is people. Oftentimes, in Scripture and throughout church history, God will give someone a heart for a specific group of people. Um, yeah, I don't have time to go through them all, but from St. Patrick to Sojourner Truth to Mother Teresa, to on and on it goes. There are men and women who have been gifted by the Spirit to go deal with a very specific person in a specific place. And so for you, is there a type of person? We have a gal in our church, and another gal in our family of church is passionate about families with special needs. Uh, We have a gentleman in our church who's really passionate about the gay community. Um, So it could be a type of person, a people group. It could also be specific people. Family, neighbors that only you have co-workers who you see the most often uh, we've seen uh, Ashley and Scott Stroman they're planning church in Rancho Cucamongo. we sent them out a while ago they had their by the way they had their first church planning training uh, this weekend uh, which is really exciting and um, but they've seen kind of like a mini revival in their family like he's seen two a sister and a brother come to know Jesus a sister-in-law uh, I've seen their parents some of their parents come to know Je- like it's it's like a little mini revival breaking out and they haven't been doing Billy Graham crusades at the house not doing alpha courses at lunch They're just, they're like, you guys, we know you because we're family. It's different. We're experiencing you differently. We're not even sure what to do with it. It even makes us a little nervous. We're suspicious, but it's different. And over time, they're going, your marriage is better than it was before. And and on and on it goes. Um, The second one is places. There could be a literal neighborhood you live in. There could be an apartment block you live in. There could be, again, a specific office or a co-work that you frequent, coffee shop you frequent, a park you frequent for, like, play dates and stuff. Um, I remember back in the day, uh, we had a girl in our church. Uh, I won't name her, but she adopted a, because I didn't run it by her. It's not because I think it's bad. She adopted a cocktail bar, and she's not an alcoholic. But she loved on that staff. Uh, she'd get middle-of-the-road food and, and just spend time with these people. It could be people that you work out with at the gym, on and on it goes. So a place. And the last one is positions. Um, God has given many of you guys, uh, you, you folks, I'm working on it, uh, You gender-neutral language, he's given a lot of you people you beloved, broken, but being loved into something beautiful people. I'm just going to go beloved shorthand. It's preacher, but it's good, all right? Uh, beloved, <laughs> he has given some of you guys some significant places of influence. Uh, many of you guys are executive leaders. Many of you guys are therapists. Many of you guys are teachers. Um, you, you have the ability to love people in a way that's life-changing. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, me and Jack went out with friends of ours recently, and they were talking about an encounter. Their daughter had to have dental surgery, and they talked about the horrific experience they had because of the nurses and the dentist who had no concern for the little girls. Uh, technically, uh, the, probably the safety was there, but they had no concern for her, her emotions, her fear. Uh, they were very rough, very awkward, very mean. Uh, and again, and, and I, but at the same time, I know, two different, um, I know two different women who become nurses and physician's assistants. And both of them, how they found their work was being in a hospital for a long stay. And they said what, what made... If my day was, you know, make or break, if my day was made or broken, uh, what, what, the most important thing about my day was who my nurse was. If I had a, a loving, kind, gentle nurse who, who, who wanted to serve in love, I, I experienced that, and my day was amazing. If I had one who didn't want to do that, it, wasn't, it was awful. And they said, we want to give people that gift. You guys, it, we all, we can do our work in a way that reflects Jesus' goodness or not. But there's position, a lot of you are leaders in the spaces. God's given you authority. And again, authority in the Bible is not for you. Power is not for you. Power exists to keep people safe and to lift them up to become what God's called them to be. It's kind of a, micro, a macro version of the parenting thing. It's, it's to help people become this, the person God's created them to be. Uh, John Tyson says this about this idea of position. He says, being sent as Christ's ambassador will not always be grandiose and monumental in the moment. Oftentimes, being sent means being Jesus' hands and feet in daily, small, faithful ways. Praying faithfully for a coworker, babysitting a neighbor's child, working tirelessly to bring change in your industry, or learning a new language so that you can share the gospel with a friend in their heart language. While Jesus was on earth, he was confined to one small, tiny region for his entire life. And his daily life consi- consisted of feeding the hungry, healing the sick, and preaching the gospel to that small rural Jewish people group. And yet, his life and ministry shaped all of human history. If you are in Jesus, there's no such thing as a small act of kindness. It feels small, but God takes what seems small and does more than we could ask or imagine with it. I think about the story of the fish and the loaves with Jesus and the disciples, and they have to feed the 5,000. And, and they're kind of freaking out. It's like festival mode. It's like Coachella by, by the Sea of Galilee. Um, there's, but there's no generators. And there's no supermarkets, you know, an hour away. There's no Airbnb to run back to. It's just you're out there, and you've been out there for a day, and you've got ki- and people are hungry, and it's hot. And, uh, and they don't have anything. And, and then Jesus, you know, one of the disciples goes, hey, that guy's, this kid's got like a filet of fish Happy Meal. Kill people some bread, got a little fish. Uh, and Jesus goes, "Oh, that's all we need." And he takes that seemingly little, insignificant meal and he feeds thousands with it. Jesus takes small moments of obedience and does more than we could ask or imagine with him. So much of what's broken with the American evangelical church is trying to do big things for Jesus, and we don't do the the small things we're supposed to do, like love people, and listen, and pray. And have character we don't need to make an impact he makes an impact with what we offer but it's what we have to offer is is, seems insignificant but he does something very significant with it and then last but not least um, ambassadors they authentically share their life and the message of their king they authentically share their life and the message of their king Again, First Peter 2, Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. By the way, it's not a, an actual ethnos, an actual race. Uh, it's he's saying the people of God are like their own race, uh, that they're their own people group. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Um, at some point, it's not enough to live an abundant life where you passionately follow Jesus. You have to, at some point, share why. So again, this is both and. Again, we talk about what we love. Here's what I want to say. I think for some of us, I think for many of us, being in Uptown, and with the way the church is viewed and all that stuff, um, I think most of us are a far cry from being the bullhorn guy. Like, we're a far cry from being the pushy, weird jerk, right? Like, like I think for a lot of us, um, we're actually – we're in danger of no one knowing we follow Jesus because we're terrified we keep our mouth closed because we don't want people to misunderstand who we are. And for some of us, the, the, we don't need to share the gospel. We just need to disclose that we are Christians. Some people watch your life and you live dope, amazing, lovely, loving, generous, beautiful lives. And people think it's just because you're amazing. And then they go, I can never be as good as so-and-so. Which it's like, no, 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 no. no. Jesus is loving you through me. We want to give him credit. Um, so again, it's like, if someone asks you, it's like, what'd you do this weekend? Right. Um, that's, that's a gateway to say, Hey, I went to a church gathering. Uh, went to church. You go to church. Yeah. I'm part of a church. What? Or they might go, Oh, church. Cool. Fine. But, but you just admit that some of us, we're like ashamed, right? Ashamed of the gospel. It's like, what'd you do this weekend? I didn't go to church. (laughs) Uh, when I take the kids out sometimes I just go, Hey, we don't want to deceive anyone. But when I'm with you, if I'm taking one of them out, I'm like, you got ice cream. They weren't here. They didn't get ice cream. And often I'll tell Calvin, i go, hey, man, just don't, don't say we had ice cream. Okay, if they ask, I'm not saying lie, but you don't need to bring it up. So don't say, I had ice cream. Don't brag. And I had to teach him. So what he started doing is he would walk in and go, hey, Clive, we didn't have ice cream. It's like, oh, dude, <laughs> I think, think no one was thinking that until you brought it up, <laughs> you know. But that, right, I didn't go to church, right? I might have I hit the beach. I might have went to a couple brunches. I might be involved in an international drug ring. I'm not a Christian, though right? Some of your first step on mission, is, your first step is going, just disclosing where you're already at, not in a weird way. I love this, First Timothy 3, 15 to 16. It says, but in your heart's regard, Christ the Lord is holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who seeks, who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, this is a passage, you got to have the reasons, right? Um, this is a passage used by apologetics ministries, like, we're going to show you the manuscript evidence and the historical evidence. And, um, and I would say more than ever, um, our society's desire for justice and equality, it, that's all rooted in biblical teaching. Like, they don't realize that. Like, they lost track of that. But equality didn't exist before the Hebrew scriptures. This idea that men and women are equal didn't exist. Consent, sexual consent, invented by the Bible, by Jesus, by the church. Science, overwhelmingly. Invented by Christians. We go on and on. So, so again, there's a place for Paul, I'm doing it right now, it's just so easy. Uh, I, I get so excited, right? Like to go, hey, here's all the reasons why Christianity should make sense to you, why you should value it, why you should give it a fair hearing. But Peter's not saying, Peter's saying, do that if they ask. Does that make sense? He's like, don't just like walk up with a like C.S. Lewis book and go, bang. What do you want to do now, right? <laughs> you bring the C.S. Lewis book if they're like, what's going, why is your life different? We spend a lot of time trying to, like, know what to say, and we don't spend much time being the people we're called to be. First Peter 3 says, um, yet do this with, uh, the next verse says, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good content in Christ will be put to shame. One of the biggest, dang- one of the dangerous, one of the biggest dangers for the church right now is the mixing of Christianity and syncretism with, like, politics. And one of the things, as a guy, as a pastor back in the day, he said, when, 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 when you mix the gospel with politics, it's kind of like mixing um, manure with ice cream. It's not that bad for the manure, real bad for the ice cream. Politics is gross on its own, okay? The church should be something beautiful on its own. When you mix them together, it is not good. And what we see is people being very not gentle, being very not respectful, not presenting anything. So they're connecting Jesus to stuff Jesus would have nothing to do with. And they're doing it really loudly and unlovingly. And then, you know, people are like, see, that's Christians. You ever seen that? You're like you're like at a street fair and you see some. you're like, oh, man, that's not, you know. It's not about po- politics isn't the thing. Jesus is the thing. Hell isn't the thing. Jesus is the thing. Um, and so we want to do this with gentleness and respect. Again, does that sound like screaming at someone with a bullhorn? saying if you're if you're a different political party you're going to hell or whatever that's awful Colossians 4 verses 5 to 6 say this this is where we're close it says act wisely toward outsiders making the most of the time let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person it says when you're answering with them be wise look for opportunities also you're answering people like love them. He says, make the most of every opportunity. He doesn't say create opportunities. Isn't that interesting? And I hope to take some of the pressure off of sharing. Making the most of every opportunity is, um, it's it's not being being arrogant or like in your face, and it's also not uh, being a coward. Um, It's being an ambassador. Uh, Some people are pushy, Some people are cowards when it comes to this topic and jesus goes no we don't want to be either of those we want to be humble and bold um i have this uh this slide mentor of ours yeah uh, put together and uh it's it's uh, i'm calling it the 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 missional posture quadrant okay and so here's what i want you to catch uh over here we've got low boldness over here we've got high boldness up top we have high sensitivity down low we have low sensitivity okay Um, So top left, this is a lot of people I know in post-Christian spaces, like Uptown, compromised. So you don't hurt anyone's feelings, you don't want to be misunderstood, Uh, so you're very sensitive to what you say, but you have no boldness. So you say nothing in a gracious way. Does that make sense? Um, On the flip side over here, it's high boldness, low sensitivity. right? Uh, This is just offensive, okay? This is the bullhorn person. This is the mean political Christian guy on Instagram, whatever. Uh, This is the stuff, it's what no one wants to be. Best case scenario, best case scenario, if it's a real Christian, best case scenario, it's saying the true gospel in a non-gracious way. But again, the scriptures themselves don't tell us to to proclaim that way. And then down here, we've got low sensitivity and low, uh, kind of irrelevant. It's like, I don't even know what that would be, again, irrelevant. Um, But then up here, We've got high sensitivity and high boldness, okay? So we honor people's feelings while not necessarily agreeing with their facts or their ideas. We can honor the person and we don't have to say that their worldview is one that we agree to. We just go, man, I'm interested in your worldview. I don't have it myself and I have to pretend like, whatever you want me to be, I'll be, right? So we wanna be ambassadors, okay? Um, But what I want you to catch is, is an ambassador is just being you where you're at, not pretending, not being, not being this jerk, That's p- not, not being pushy, uh, I, I'm a preacher, like, uh, like alliteration, not being pushy and not pretending. Don't pretend you don't know Jesus, and don't be pushy about the fact that you do lovingly, consistently in front of them. Be who you are, and people will be drawn to Jesus. And, and, and here's the thing, why this is in the series is it's one of the things that the church is called to do. We're called to do it together. It's not just you on your own, it's together. She said, by the way that you love one another, men and women will know you're my disciples, my learners. And so, yeah, we're engaging people that maybe only we can engage, but often we want them to get a glimpse of the church. That, or you want to be, or maybe you need to be encouraged, excuse me, and strengthened by the church as you do a hard thing, as you live in a space that, that it might be hard to, to follow Jesus publicly. And so uh, right now what I want to do is pray um, and, and ask and put kind of I want to pray and encourage us to put ourselves before God and ask ourselves where we're at. Little prayer diagnostic. Father, I thank you again that you've brought us into a family, a spiritual community. I thank you for um, the brothers and sisters we've been given. We've been given way more brothers and sisters than we could ever dream of. So many amazing people just in this room. Some who are members of this local church, some who are visiting, but brothers and sisters nonetheless. And so as a family, um, I ask God that we, we would be the kind of family that lives our lives in front of others in such a way where people go, man, Jesus is beautiful. If Jesus causes them to live this way, I am interested. Maybe I'm, uh, maybe I'm offended initially or confused. But the closer I get to this thing, it seems real. It seems like they actually believe in this Jesus and they actually love like he loves And so right now, Father, I just just pray for those of us who um, maybe we've been arrogant and insensitive and really loud about our faith, like with our words, but not with our deeds. Lord, would you humble us? Maybe we even need to go apologize to people for being kind of the abrasive Christian person in their space. Maybe... um, maybe some of us, we just need to fall in love with Jesus first. Like, we don't need to go out talking a whole lot about him because we don't love him very much. We don't believe he loves us very much, and so I just ask for those, Lord, um, that, that feel like that love connection is lacking, I pray that you would pour out your love in their hearts through the Holy Spirit and that this week they would encounter your love in some special, tangible ways. Maybe they didn't see coming. They'd be reminded of your love for them in the cross, but also in your life and also in your creation, and also in your goodness. And then lastly, I want to pray for those who are uh, ashamed, of, if they're honest, they're kind of ashamed of the gospel. They're they're, uh, they're ashamed of their weird brothers and sisters who have not represented the church well over the years. And so now they don't want to be identified with the family. And I get that. Like, I, I, I don't want that so often. But God, to do that T- to cut them off, t- t- to do that, to stand, in, t- t- to stand in judgment of them would be to do something that you don't even do. In Hebrews, it says you're not ashamed to call us brother, brothers and sisters, that Jesus isn't ashamed to be our older brother. Sometimes I'm ashamed of myself. Jesus isn't ashamed of me. And so, Lord, if Jesus isn't ashamed of us, would we not be ashamed of our brothers and sisters? Maybe we need to correct them and rebuke them and tell them to tone it down and challenge them for unloving words or actions. But would we not cut ourselves off from them or be ashamed of them and ashamed of your gospel? And so, Jesus, thank you for dying for us to take away our shame. Thank you that we'll never be put to shame if we're in you, regardless of what anyone thinks of us. One of the beautiful truths of the gospel is if we follow and have put our faith in Jesus Christ, one of the beautiful things is that we never have to concern ourselves with the approval of man ever again. No one defines us but you. And so so since you define us, would you help us to step out with humble confidence, with loving boldness, with compassionate conviction? In Jesus' name, amen.